Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Soccer Show. We're here to talk about the end of the international break and to look back at some of the biggest storylines going on in North and Central and South America that have broken in the last couple of days. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host and I'm joined by the one and only Felipe Cardenas. Felipe, it's great to have you back on the show. What's happening, man? How are you? It's been a while. It has been a while. How are you doing? You well? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. You? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Holding up, holding up. It's all it's all a bit wild in this international break. There's been a lot of storylines flying around. Um, but I'm excited to talk through a couple of the big ones here with you. We're going to start with the USMNT. I mean, a successful break on paper. Two wins from two, top the group into the semifinals of the Nations League. It's mostly all you can ask for, especially under an interim coach. But we're going to talk about the ups and downs of it here i just want to start with ricardo pepe because he's had a majorly progressive break i think there there have been question marks over this number nine role for a long long time there's obviously been the overshadowing cloud of whether flo balagan is going to declare for the usmnt or not uh, at this point and i imagine that'll be feeding into the psyches a lot of people daryl dk started a couple of these games to you know to show that there was faith within him coming back from that injury but ricardo pepe has Stake the claim that he needs to be remembered within this setup for what he's good at and what he's good at is scoring goals. I'm just going to say right off the bat, I truly believe this. I think he's the future of the national team in that position at the number nine position, Ricardo Pepe. I, I really do. Like, I know he he's young and there was a lot of hype right away when he, you know, burst onto the scene still as a teenager with FC Dallas and then went, you know, his debuts. The first few games for the national team were, were great. He was scoring goals in, in World Cup qualifiers. Uh, and, you know, I like him because he's, you can see that he's a player that is still green, but he can score goals. He can score goals in multiple ways with his head inside the box. He's two-footed. He can finish in, in multiple ways. Uh, and he, right now, you mentioned it, you know, he he looks like an angry striker, like a player that, truly believes that he was he got the raw end of the deal missed the world cup and now in hindsight you you really do wonder uh you know why that decision was made the, the strikers at the world cup for the united states did not deliver uh and and i understand there's a bit of a profile uh cluster here where you have different the strikers of the us men's national team all play the same way they're they're big they're back to goal um but in the end, you want a guy that can finish, and I and, and I think that even with the with, with the Flo Balogun sort of drama and the expectation happening, I think that has fueled Ricardo Pepe to once again show 
everyone, including this interim coaching staff, like he can be trusted. And he came on and uh, uh, against El Salvador and, and did that right away. It was a great sub. It was a great substitution. The timing was excellent by Anthony Hudson because listen, El Salvador. I really loved what they did in the first 45 minutes, but yeah. they are a they they don't have the team to go toe to toe for 90, and you could see that they couldn't get out of their own penalty area in the second half. They were out of they they had no legs. They were out of gas, and you you take off uh, DK and you bring on a player that is so hungry to prove himself, and that's what Ricardo Pepe did. So I I still believe that he is he's going to be a big focal point. Maybe he's not the guy because Flo, as you know. Jack is just a totally different profile. And, that, and that's the striker that the U.S. doesn't have, you know, the, yeah. the pacey striker uh, that can get behind the lines that that is going to be dangerous and really test a, an opponent's back line with speed uh, and precision. And again, he is a finisher as well. So, again, I'm just happy for Ricardo. I think he did well. And I still believe I'll, re- I'll repeat it. The future of this national team, honestly. I think you're right. And I think you're right with or without Balogun. Like, right. I, I think either way, there's enough space in here to, one, potentially play them as a pairing because they're different enough in profile to be able to, one, to drop deeper, play as a kind of quasi 10, uh, and then the other to, to get in behind. I think there's space for that. But also, there's enough games, and we have increasing amount of, of international games year on year at this point to have more than one striker who's able to lead the line. And I think, you know, you look at, Pepe's record this season for Groningen, who have been pretty dreadful, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. You know, they're, they're 17th in the Eredivisie. They, they've been really poor. And this is a good side, usually. They're you know, usually kind of on the edge of the European places, that mid-table spot. They've, they've been quite comfortable there. This season, they've, they've fallen off a cliff. But he's still got nine in 21 in the Eredivisie, which isn't bad at all, Not considering bad. he came in mid-season. And yeah. I think when you look at those kind of records, they're, they're the kind of things you click and be like, that's a player back on the up now whether he goes back to Augsburg next year or whether he goes elsewhere and someone else comes in for him, I think he's starting to find his feet in Europe. And I think we saw that in this international break. He looks much more comfortable than he did the last time we saw him in a USMNT shirt. He, it's almost like this is a cliche. It looks like a man. And I think playing for these bad teams, that'll, that, that'll help a young striker. Oh, you know, yeah. Augsburg also a tough place to go. They're not a contender ever. They're always battling relegation. I've spoken to other players. I spoke to Michael Parkhurst, a former U.S. men's national team captain who went to Augsburg. And it was a, also just a, a dreadful experience for him. You know, it's like it's it's tough place for for a foreign player, especially an American player. Uh, and and it, it's an organization that's always, uh, like I said, at the bottom of the table. And this is he was a teenager, you know, Ricardo Pepe going to that club didn't work out. You mentioned he goes to Groningen and it's like he's he has matured. He has he's now experiencing, I think, the tougher side of European football. And he couldn't wait to come back to the to the to the national team and to show his his quality and show his worth. And he's done that. So. So, yeah, I, I think if, if Balogun does decide to play for the U S because now the latest reports, Jack is like England. haven't forgotten about him. They haven't forgotten. They're going to make one last recruiting push, you know, to, to try to land him. Uh, but if they don't, uh, it would be an interesting prospect uh, to, to see how the, those two pro, how those two strikers can play together. Again, the two tri- striker setup, I think is making a gradual comeback tactically. Uh, and, and if the U S can kind of figure that one out, once they figure out the coaching situation out, then that could be a very fruitful partnership moving forward. Yeah, I think it would be very, very interesting to see how it goes. Um, obviously, I wanted to just quickly talk about Christian Pulisic because 
It's not been easy since Graham Potter came in at Chelsea. Uh, and yet every time he seems to pull on the national shirt, he seems to continually perform, uh, which is which is nice, I think, generally for, for both him, obviously for USMNT fans as well. But, but generally, I think when a player is having a tough time at club level, to be able to go back and show that you still have it on a regular basis at international level is good for his prospects of potentially a move this summer, but also just in terms of feeling confident within himself when he does get on the pitch for Chelsea. And he's spoken after the game about the fact that he wants to, to use this to kick on under, under Graham Potter. But I believe now he's the highest scorer ever for a player of his caps yeah. at, at this point. It, it continues to work and he continues to shine in the Stars and Stripes. It reminds me, as a Colombian, it does remind me of James Rodriguez when he was at Real Madrid and wasn't getting the playing time that he thought he deserved. He was under Zinedine Zidane um, and Rafa Benitez. It was just like not a good situation for him. But every time he showed up for Colombia, he just performed at the highest of his levels. At, at his quality. And he would talk about it. He one time said, I'll, I'll show up here and play on one leg if I have to, because in, in Spain, they were reporting that he was injured and that he couldn't play for Real Madrid. But uh, Christian Pulisic has that same uh, current pathway. You know, it hasn't gone well with Chelsea. He's bad. He's always battled injuries. Uh, throughout his career, but especially with Chelsea. Uh, and and the, the coaching change, I think that was a big concern for for U.S. fans and pundits. I, you know, I remember talking about it last summer. That's mm. not always, that's not an automatic guarantee that like, oh, a new coach comes in, you're going to get more playing time. Uh, and that has happened with Grand Potter. He hasn't found uh, a consistent role. And so it's it, it, re- it remains to be seen where Christian Pulisic will, will be you know, moving forward at, at the club level. But to your point, he's always going to be the star of this team. He may not be the, the captain. Tyler Tyler Adams is the, the is going to captain this side if he's healthy. Uh, but especially against Granada, I know. Listen, I know Granada was, should not have even been on the field with the U.S. Um, but I what I took away from that game, which was a 7-1 win, was that players like Christian Pulisic and the, the Premier League players took it very seriously and they played really well. You know, Pulisic was really good in that game. He dropped off against El Salvador a bit. And I think that's a bit of a concern where you want to see that consistency every single game. I think, I still think that's something that Pulisic, uh, you know, can, can, can get to, Uh, but yeah, he, he, I think he also is showing in his public uh, remarks about the, the drama between the Reynas and the Burhalters. You're seeing a player that, really understands it, that went through a World Cup, understands that this team now has done what they hadn't done before, which is just perform well at, at, at the top tournament in the world in Qatar. And and now they have that confidence to, to get through. But you said it. They it's there's not much else to take away. They they a player coach should have gotten them to the Nations League semifinals. This is where they were supposed to be. So now we start now we're going to see what happens in games that really mean something against Mexico and potentially a final. And that's where we're going to see the uncertainty of the coaching situation really come to light. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean there is obviously this space in there that I assume at some point, and we talked about this uh, a while back, but generally when you're you're looking at what happened and the fact that someone wasn't brought in immediately and it's going to take some time for the US to get to that point where everything is settled in the back back room again, that actually this this season feels quite nice, or at least the, the summer feels quite nice. There are problems with it in terms of actually getting someone in and making sure that they're the right person, left, right and center, fine. But... Generally, I think that you look at this this way that the, the Nations League shake, shaked out and the way that it's going to 
shake out in the summer as well. It just feels like it's a space for someone to be like, okay, um, I can come in and just guide us and it'll probably work out okay. And so far, so good. The one place I was a little bit concerned was this midfield depth because yeah. I think that obviously Tyler Adams not being available. We haven't seen Brendan Aronson massively played in that central role that he often occupies for Leeds. I thought that Luca Della Torre did okay. Um, yeah. carries the ball well. He started to get a little bit more game time now at Celta, which is nice. But it, it does feel like that the US lack bodies in the middle here when things get tough. Yeah, I think the, the two areas of the field where the depth is a concern is central midfield, as you mentioned, and as always, left fullback. It's just it's 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 a position, it's two positions that are, are very thin. And yes, you have good players there. You have Yunus Musa, Tyler Adams, but that's about it. You know, if they if they're injured and they, or they're not healthy or they're not playing well, it does feel like quite a drop off, and, and not just in quality, but in in style and and, and profiles, like very different players. And so, the, a coach there has to really, uh, you know, adjust and manage that situation if those mm-hmm. players aren't healthy. You know, just this is perhaps for another show, but you know, th- there is there are a couple young players that they're just very young uh, that are currently in MLS that I think fit that mold. One is Owen Wolf, who plays at Austin FC. He's a, a central midfielder, more of like an eight. Uh, but he is projecting well to to, to eventually be, be part of the, the national team program. He's still very young. He's a, he's a teenager. Uh, but you can see that that type of player is being developed stateside. Aiden Morris, who plays for the Columbus crew, also a very good uh, number six uh, that, that, that had an ACL injury last year. And, you know, I watched him last weekend and he was was very good. In, in their 6-1 win over Atlanta United. So the, it's just going, again, we, we go back to the coach, though. Like a, a coach is going, the, the new coach is the one that's going to have to look at that position and then start to bring up these young players to give them opportunities. Because, you know, Kellen Acosta is talked about a lot. He wasn't part of the squad and people were talking about, oh, he was snubbed. You know, I like Kellen because he's a specialist. Like he can, his dead ball is really, really good. Uh, but again, he's not the same player as Tyler Adams. He's not the same player, central midfield player as Yunus Musa. He is very much a stay at home guy that just keeps the game in front of him. Yeah. Uh, and you're not going to get a lot of dynamic play from him. And I think this is a team that wants to continue to, to really push the ball. Uh, and progress it quickly. So, yeah, it's it is a concern, and I think you you saw that in these two games. That uh, and, and I I would also say that El Salvador particularly really targeted those those parts of the field, the middle, and and the wing, especially where uh, Alejandro Zendejas was playing. Uh, you know, I thought there was a plan that El Salvador had to just try to limit the 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 creation out of the midfield and limit a player like Alejandro Zendejas, who I think everyone understood would be trying to show what he has from playing in space. Well, I wanted to talk about him. So you've, you've managed to segue <laughs> for me, which is which is perfect, because obviously this is the first time we've seen him after formally declaring that he's going to be committing full-time and permanently to the US. The fact that there are now these two games against Mexico coming up, one obviously in, in the semi-final of this, but also then in the, in the Clasico as well, it just feels like it's lined up for something special but you know to to make your entry at that point and to to cap it with a goal two minutes later is is a nice way to be like oh by the way i finally arrived yeah i mean alejandro zendejas i feel like is, is you know he made a decision an interesting one because he's choosing this project that is currently 
in flux, you know, the, from a sporting department, right? Uh, no manager, no sporting director, no general manager, no direction really right now. It's just very temporary. But he chose, obviously, with his heart, like this is a player that grew up in the United States. Uh, it's a Mexican-American in a Mexican-American household. Uh, he has just been, he was produced at FC Dallas, developed there, but he has a career in Mexico. And what I found interesting is that just in reading the reports in Mexico, it was like they were, they claimed him very early. And the thing is, he played for Mexico. He played for the senior national team and he probably shouldn't have legally you know, by, by FIFA standards, like he clearly well, was both not... games forfeited because yeah. of his, his, his yeah. use. Yeah. And so it's he was given opportunities, uh, you know, Tata Martino gave him opportunities. I remember he was not good under Martino uh, in, in games where Martino, it wasn't a FIFA window. So he used a bunch of he, a majority of league MX players. Alejandro Zedes was part of that and just didn't perform. Uh, but he has a future here and it, 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 the, the, the next manager has to figure out what his best role is because he is a unique player. He can play as an inverted winger. He can play centrally a little bit as an attacking eight or an attacking 10. Uh, he's much better in space. Like I mentioned, El Salvador clearly had a, had a plan to not let him turn. He could barely, uh, you know, get forward. He had a nice, some, some flashes. I found that he was very still apprehensive around the penalty area though. Uh, but you, you mentioned it like, he's going to play against Mexico very soon if, if he's going to be part of this project. I think Anthony Hudson, particularly, if he's going to be the manager through the summer, he's going to call up Alejandro Zendejas. And so that's going to be just a massive, massive moment when he plays Mexico in the Nations League semifinal. I don't think he'll be part of the April friendly. I don't know if Club America will, will allow him to leave if it's not a FIFA window. Uh, but certainly for Nations League, he's going to be there and it's going to be a huge, huge moment. I don't know if Club America will allow him to leave just because they're like, <laughs> no, you're not going, considering some of the comments that have come out yeah. after that one came across. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Let's flip to Mexico, though, because not a great window for them. Now they've, they've squeaked in to the semifinals here, although it, it did take some, some late magic. And it just feels like this felt like it was going to be a new start. <laughs> for, for Mexico after the World Cup. And instead, it just feels like more of the same jumbled mess. And, you know, I'm going to throw to you to basically try and work, pick up the pieces, you know, pr- break out the bones of, of what's gone wrong here. But the over-reliance on Raul Jimenez to score goals, that kind of, that feeling that Santi Jimenez was going to be the guy and it hasn't really quite started to go yet. The over-reliance on Diego Lainez, who has struggled again in, in Europe this season to get anywhere near a starting berth. And, it just feels like everything's a bit all over the place. And, you know, you've just said that Zendaya has, has, has picked the project that feels in flux. Yeah. To be honest, I feel like both projects are in flux. It, it, was, it was a choice. Uh, it was a Sophie's choice in many ways. <laughs> it was, it's, it's disarray. It's disarray for more, more, obviously way more in Mexico because it's just the problem is the culture. You mentioned players, yes. But the problem is the culture that uh, I think this is a, a really interesting way of putting it. These, this is what the reports are coming out of Mexico now is that the, the fan base has just fallen out of love with their national team. Uh, and, and that's a big problem because then when they play at the Azteca, you know, one bad pass, one bad touch, and the yeah. fans are right on top of them. You know, that, that game against Jamaica at the Azteca, Diego Coca, the new manager, he is an Argentine, but he's a two-time Mexican league champion with Atlas, made history there, uh, former player as well in Mexico for many, many years, knows the culture, knows the players. He was booed right away as soon as they introduced him at the Azteca. Uh, several of the players you mentioned, Diego Lainez, uh, Guillermo Ochoa, the, the, the goalkeeper, Raul Jimenez, booed at the Azteca. And the late magic that you mentioned, it was late magic from, it was, and it was also late magic from Guillermo Ochoa, the goalkeeper. He, yeah. that, you know, Jamaica should have won that game. They had the late chances to, to, to steal that game and, and knock Mexico out of the Nations League semifinal. So it is more of the same because it, Diego Coca, which is so interesting, Tata Martino was was hammered for not giving young players enough opportunities. Even though, if I remember speaking to him in Mexico City in, in December of 2021, he told me, I'll give you every player that I've tried out. And it was like over 25, 30 players that were U23 or, or, or younger. Uh, and they, he, in the end, this is a coach that just preferred to take a more veteran team to the World Cup. The biggest problem for Mexico is that I feel like they can't just just do it. They can't just say, we're going to go with it with this younger generation. Diego Coca started almost, I think, 10 players against Jamaica that started the final game against Saudi Arabia at the World Cup. Uh, it was the same team that Martino chose. It was the same team that was heavily criticized for um, – for, for the way they play, for their profile and everything. So, and you mentioned Diego Linus, you know, he had to move back to Mexico. He's with Tigres now and he's playing, but he's not blowing up the league. You know, he's still a player that, that you, that you, that's coming off the bench, you know, to try to turn things around. So it, it, it's, it's more of the same. And the more of the same is, is this, the toxic nature of the way the team is covered and the way the team is perceived by their fan base. So it's going to be tough. Diego Coca now, He's going to have back-to-back games against the United States. So that is his opportunity to, to win over the, the fan base. Because what happened under Martino, 
even though they he started well, won a, a gold a gold cup in 2019 over the United States, those three losses to the US MNT just completely blew up the project. And Diego Coca cannot follow that same path or it's going to get really bad. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's one of those. Obviously, it's it's not good. I do think that this Jamaica side is somewhat underrated. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those. Uh, they're 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 a good side, and and they went through this, you know, obviously process of uh, of bringing in dual nationals, and we talked about earlier, obviously. But it seems like it's settled now. Obviously, Bobby Reed scores one of the goals of the season. Amazing which is, goal, yeah. Which is lovely to see as a Fulham fan. Um, but more <laughs> than that, you know, you're looking at Leon Bailey who plays for Villa. Nicholson plays for Spartak Moscow, if I'm not mistaken. There's yeah. a couple of these. It's Championship, Premier League, you know, MLS players. These are this is a very decent unit, you know, who are and one, who are and one of the best well. goalkeepers in the region, Andre Blake. He was injured though. He plays for the union, but he's a top, top goalkeeper in CONCACAF, without a doubt. They they know how to play Mexico in Mexico. They were a problem during qualifiers. And, you know, that's just a team that I think Mexico didn't want to see right now. And they were lucky to get through, to your point. Yeah, no, completely agree. Completely agree. Um, it looks like there's a lot of work to do. And I, I wonder how long, as you say, you know, as a cultural thing, it's going to take to flush that distrust out. And, you know, I, I don't support England, as you say, but I very much watch England's stretches through through the years. And there are places where you can see that the national team are kind of pariahs almost yeah. uh, and it's taken a complete resetting of the circle for, for that to come out the other side again and people to be excited about it it takes a long time so it's be interesting to see how it develops i'll say this before you know i was talking to elias burke our, our colleague as well um you know west brom fan and you know he asked me what is it what is the problem with mexico why can they not produce a good team and this is an obviously an englishman an england fan and he he said the same thing like he i understand like right now the England team is is well supported, right? Like despite the drama that's always around the three lions. But uh, I, I think what, when you mentioned pariahs, that's the danger of the Mexico situation right now because when Tata Martino was the coach, it was just easy to say the coach is the problem. He was the wrong guy. He's not getting anything out of the players. Yeah. We need a new coach, anybody. And so now they've changed the manager. And what's happening in Mexico right now is that now the, the the top networks, the fans, now they're all agreeing suddenly. Maybe it's the players. Maybe it's the players, and and that's that's what the players are feeling now. And ugh, that that's a dangerous slide, and that's one that, to your point, doesn't happen overnight. Even one win against the United States isn't going to just suddenly change the narrative. And now, the quinto partido, the famous quarterfinal berth that is supposed to be you know, the, the godsend for Mexican football, that's not going to be good enough either when they're hosting the World Cup. You, you get to the quarterfinal and you're out, you're a failure suddenly. So it's just, it's it's incredible, the the, the pressure. Also, you know, the emergence of, of Canada is uh, yeah. you know, the, a genuine potential top of the, you know, the CONCACAF tree now. It, it is really interesting in terms of how how things look. And, you know, I, I saw Carl Larin speaking about the fact that he called Canada CONCACAF's big boys, which I did. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed just I as, love as it. a comment. But obviously, they've they've come third, so they'll play Panama again second. Very impressive that that yeah. Panama uh, to to come out of that group with with Costa Rica in in second spot in in the seedings. Very impressive from Panama. But you look at this and you go, okay, right. So so where do Canada sit in this now? 
And, you know, Laren might have been slightly tongue in cheek with, with what he was saying there. But I think the, the relative strength of this Canada side suggests that Mexico could find themselves very comfortably bottom of the, the three sides who, who are hosting this next World Cup. And, and that's not where they're going to want to be. That's not where they want to be. Remember, I, I spoke to the former, now former Mexican Federation president, John de Luisa, uh, in, in, to, this was last winter, and he said, our goal is to be a top eight nation, you know, in the FIFA rankings, you know, and, and that's not a long-term goal. He was thinking before the 2026 World Cup, and obviously they want a challenge for that World Cup at home. Uh, but yes, Canada is suddenly here to spoil the party. And that's another team that another side that knows that they can defeat both of the big boys in CONCACAF, both the United States and, Me and Mexico. They've done it. They did it during qualifying. Uh, I, I, I sort of clapped back at, at Laren yesterday on Twitter. And it was I also using tongue in cheek, like I, I love their swagger. I love their confidence. That, that's what makes them such a dangerous team. But you, you've got to deliver. You have to graduate. Canada, I'm talking to you, Canada. You need to graduate from being the darlings to being a contender. Like that's it. That's how you become part of, you know, the so the so-called big boy club. You've got to win in your region. And yes, World Cup qualifying is a totally different beast. And that's where they proved, you know, their worth. Uh, but you've got to win in your region consistently. You need to win a trophy. They haven't won a tro trophy in CONCACAF in 23 years. Uh, and I, I will go down swinging that their World Cup was a ma massive disappointment. I know that their group was really difficult with Croatia, Morocco, and, and Belgium. But they were expected to do something special. Like I remember arriving in the airport in Doha, and I heard a group of Uruguayan, Uruguayan, journalists randomly just saying Canada is my team watch out for Canada and then they just they left with you know barely a squeak and so again Laren Kyle Laren all these players who, who say that you know they they believe it and that's what's that's what's great about this team that they can play against anybody but time to time to talk the talk walk the walk as they say yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think the the Belgium game was the one, wasn't it? Yes, that was the one they should have. They should have won. Um, and that's that's where it was. And I completely agree with you. I, I think they were fun. They were they were impressive. They won. They won a lot of hearts. The yeah. next step, as you say, is is winning trophies. You can win hearts. Win hearts is great. But the next one is winning winning trophies and and getting that over the line and and making this slight kind of this swing of form and and this rise to of ascendancy to. To matter and, and count in the in the history books as well. Um, I want to talk finally about Marcelo Bielsa because there are plenty of rumors, indeed, plenty of rumors that Loco might be on his way to manage the Uruguayan national team. And I just like to put it on paper that I love it. I love it too. I, I think it would be great to have Bielsa back in Como Bowl. He had uh, a great spell with Argentina. He, he he the the problem is it ended poorly he he took them to the 2002 world cup that team if i mean we could talk about that that class was ridiculous that class yeah. that he had in 2002 uh but they 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 were eliminated in the group stage of that world cup it was just a complete disaster uh but you know he's a gold he won a gold medal with argentina with with an incredible class of players and then he turned the chile national team around like he is still to this day almost 10 years later Chile still plays a, a sort of a style that Bielsa implemented when he was there. Very fast, high pressing, dynamic, uh, home and away. They're a dangerous team. And, you know, him being back in Como potentially with Uruguay, 
is just a, a wonderful story. I would love to see it. And this is a good team. This is Uruguay is a good team. They just need a coach. But we were talking offline, as you know, you know, until he signs a document, you know, Marcel Bielsa can walk away from any situation that he, if he smells something that he doesn't, doesn't like, or if he was promised something that suddenly looks different in writing or suddenly looks different verbally, uh, you know, he could, he could walk away. But uh, this is a really interesting development because like I said, you look at the squad that Uruguay has, some of the players that they have, the young, the young players that are coming up, uh, and this hunger of wanting to be a top side globally, uh, with a coach like Marcelo Bielsa, that makes them dangerous. No one wants to play Uruguay ever in South America. Right. Let me just say that. But if they have that guy in charge, suddenly that's like a twelfth man in a game that you know you're going to have to defeat. Yeah, I think this is it. You know, I think you look at. Valverde, you look at Araujo and you look at Darwin Nunez and you have three of the most exciting young talents in world football in three separate roles as well. You know, you mark out a a defender, a midfielder and and a forward there. Not many nations can boast that. And, you know, we know that Uruguay continues to produce incredible footballers and has done for the last hundred years. But actually what we're seeing here is three, I think in particular, and, and that's not not the whole sum of the parts in by any stretch of the imagination. But I think just those three as well would be in most people's top 20 of under 23 footballers in the world right now. And that's an incredible base to be working with. It is. And and speaking of, of of working, I think this is, this is going to be a big change for Marcel Bielsa. This is a guy that that, a manager that is coming from club football the last few years. I think he is, he is clearly someone that wants to be on the pitch every day wants to to form those relationships with his players uh very didactic in his way of 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 teaching the game very obviously philosophically he is it's it's a one-way road it's a one-way road for for marcel bielsa uh this is a big change with with national team football obviously you get the players every once in a while um but in contrast to what we're seeing in Concacaf, who were these countries the host countries will not qualify, the qualification process in South America is going to go on and it's going to be tough. Now, six and a half teams get in, so you're expecting Uruguay should be there handily, but you still have to go through a grueling South American World Cup qualifying process that the format's not changing. It's everyone against everyone. It's home and away, survival of the fittest. And and that's going to be a challenge for him to, to just adjust to that change in, in his lifestyle where you're not seeing the players on a daily basis, but something that he loves to do is play young players and be part of the, the development pathway for, for senior national team players or senior club level players. And I guarantee it part of the deal. If he, if this happens for Uruguay is you're going to see him very much involved in that U 20 U 17 setup for Uruguay. Uh, and you mentioned the way they develop players. This, that's probably something that he's just rubbing his hands with, knowing that this is a small country that continues to punch above its weight. And they do that because they have such a, a, cons- a consistent way of developing young players from, from the, the time that they become, become, begin as teenagers at club level and their youth national sides are good. It just feels like a jackpot for, 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 for a good coach, knowing that you're getting a quality side that is essentially going to be at the, world, the next World Cup. Yeah, yeah, with it, with a point to prove as well. I think after yeah. after this time around, it, it just feels it feels like one of those matches that 
is so good that you're a bit like, has this happened before? You're having to Google it to be like, has he managed to before? Because it feels right. And, and and I think maybe that's the, the kind of lock you're looking for with these. And obviously nothing is is ever secure with Bielsa, even when he has the job in that he can walk away from anything at any time when he doesn't feel that he's being treated correctly or that things weren't right. But I just have a feeling that this would work. It feels like a match made by the football gods. I think so. I think in, in just in terms of, of style and tactics, uh, Uruguay isn't hasn't been a high pressing side, a full tilt side, a, a, a high tempo side ever in their history. They are very much uh, a team that will will be very stubborn defensively, and then they can get after you on the counter, or they can just produce goals with the with the world class players that they have up front, and then they're willing to defend to the death. They will defend a one nil lead easily. They have no issue doing that. Now, Diego Alonso, the, the the coach that managed Uruguay at the World Cup, who currently is still in contention, he wasn't fired. He just wasn't renewed. His contract wasn't renewed. And so that's still a, a possibility that they go back to Alonso. I think that would be a tough situation because they crashed out of the World Cup and his yeah. inexperience was targeted by the journalists in Uruguay. Uh, some of the players didn't speak very highly of his tactics. I, I remember Cavani, Edison Cavani, in a in a in a in a the mix zone of a, of a game when they were eliminated. He was like, "Ask the coach about the tactics." Like it was just he gave like sort of a insight to the way that the players wanted to play and the way Alonso was deciding to play at a World Cup. But Alonso did institute a little bit of pressing in wide areas with Pelestri, Facundo Pelestri, the Manchester United winger, uh, Facundo Torres, who plays here in MLS. These are like quick young wingers uh, and they were getting after it. They were pressing teams. And so maybe that's something that Bielsa sees this new generation of Uruguayan player that he could implement some of his, his styles that have worked in, in his previous stops. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, I just, I'm just excited and it doesn't even happen. You're like one of those where you're rubbing your hands together before yeah. anything's actually signed on the dotted line, as you say, but incredibly exciting times for Uruguay if that one does get over the line. Uh, and with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day, but all there's there for me to do is say thank you so much to Felipe for joining us. It's been a real pleasure having you back on, my friend. Anytime, man. Hit me up next time. Let's do Absolutely. it again. Let's do it soon. Let's do it soon. This has been the Athletic Soccer Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I've been Jack Collins, and we'll see you very shortly. Take it easy, gang. <laughs>